0: Hello everybody up in Streamland. Glad you're here. Well, fall is in the air, right? I mean, it's a beautiful spring day out there, but I'm pretty sure that I saw a cross country, uh, two cross country teams roll into town as state champions yesterday, right? And football season, it was senior night uh, on Friday, and and quite the shellacking we handed out, and so I don't maybe fall is in the air. Uh, uh, We have quite a few students that are connected to our sports programs, and uh, so it's been a good week for Sayusla Sports, and uh, we're proud of them, Uh, but uh, I'm really glad they're getting a chance to play this year, and we'll take fall uh, right after Easter. I'm fine with them, I'm just glad that they're out there able to play. Uh, but uh, that was fun this week. Well, we are picking it up uh, right where that video left off. And coming out of Easter, it's an interesting transition. They said that he was preparing to die, and we're actually going to talk about resurrection again today. I mean, we celebrate resurrection every Sunday and every day of the week, so why not? Uh, I read a quote a few weeks ago that says, Easter says that you can put truth in a grave, but it won't stay there. I like that. And I would switch it a little bit uh, to read like this. Easter says you can put truth in a grave, but he won't stay there. Yeah, I, I, was, I was listening to a podcast a number of weeks ago, and he was talking about how truth isn't some, uh, some absolute uh, or, or, or uh, something that changes. Often we look at it in those ways that truth can change, or is truth an absolute? And he said, you know, we need to be arguing truth as a person. Truth is a person, in Jesus, And I was like, wow, that really makes a difference in how I look at what truth is. You know, and we're not having to argue a stance or stand for something. Jesus is truth to the point that his very words spoke truth into existence and things that didn't exist before or weren't operational in that time when he speaks it. He speaks truth into being and we're going to see that again today. So I want to start actually in the book of Jesus. James, as we're coming out of Luke chapter 6 and Sermon on the Plain where Jesus was teaching, we saw some of that there in the video of a new kingdom, a new set of priorities, and, uh, and, and uh, often connected to the Sermon on the Mount out of Matthew, likely the same uh, message that was given there, his longest message that he was just teaching, uh, but he doesn't only teach in James chapter 1, verse 22. Verse 22. Uh, It says this, But be doers of the word, and not only hearers, who deceiving uh, themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man, who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forget what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And Jesus is about to show us exactly that. Not just hearers, not just speakers of the word, but doers. So let's turn, if you will, with me to Luke chapter 7 where we pick uh, Jesus back up, walking out of this moment of teaching into these next couple of verses. After he had finished all this, Uh, all his sayings. In in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now, I just kind of want to center us a little bit on Capernaum. Capernaum uh, was a town. We know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, which was the fulfillment of prophecy. We know that he uh, lived in Nazareth, also fulfilling a prophecy. Uh, But he would, in fact, make Capernaum his home base. In Matthew chapter 4, after Jesus went to his hometown and taught and was largely rejected, by his own family and friends, it says that he moved and lived in Capernaum. And Capernaum was on the the, uh, northern shore of the Sea of Galilee, about 25 miles away uh, from Nazareth. And so I I did a Google search just to get my bearings, and this is what it gave me. Uh, Yeah, Google Maps, it'll take you an hour to drive there, 49 minutes, unless you take the hill route, then it'll take you 59 minutes to drive there. Now, you can also flip to the next one. Uh, where you see that it'll take you more like 10 and a half or nine and a half hours to, to walk there. I love that Google Maps is just like, here's your street view. Do you need to see what shops and what quick marts are on the way? And, and yet, this path wouldn't have been very different from what Jesus would have taken, this 10-hour hike or walk over uh, to Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee. And so, uh, we continue there. Verse 2 says, Now a centurion who had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued to him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent uh, to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy uh, to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us. Our synagogue. And so here we have this centurion who would not have been a Jewish man, but also probably wasn't a Roman uh, centurion. Uh, Rome didn't have a garrison or people in uh, Galilee at that point in time. And so he would have been probably a commander in the army uh, of of, uh, Herod Antipas who, whoa, hello. There you go, let there be light also, Uh, who was one of three tetrarchs, uh, which means a ruler of fourths. And uh, it's kind of weird, but uh, his brother, his sibling, uh, ruled two of the areas, and so there was three rulers of force, and he would have been expected to have a garrison of his own. And a centurion would have been in command, not of 100 uh, soldiers, but of 80 soldiers. And so he understood authority, and and he would have been there to help Herod uh, with any local policing matters, but also if Rome had issue in the region, he would be expected to send his own uh, soldiers out to help in Roman efforts, and really, the king uh, was was a puppet king, and so uh, while he's connected to the Jewish people, he really wasn't there to serve them and their needs. He was just kind of a peacemaker, and, and Rome would let him be in charge as long as he kept these Israelites under control, and so yet, this man, this centurion himself, had faith, and he asked when he heard that Jesus was in the area to send him to me. And, and he had some favor with the, the Jewish leaders at that point in time. Evidently, he had helped them to build their own synagogue place of worship and, and a reading of scriptures. And, and so they sent to him and said, he is worthy uh, of your interaction, which really makes you wonder, because these are the same scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees that we've heard are coming against Jesus and plotting to kill him. And yet, obviously, uh, there was some that were leaning into this Jesus who were hearing what Jesus was doing and maybe seeing it firsthand that there were some maybe that were uh, uh, coming in to understanding that Jesus might be the Messiah. Well, in this case, they send word to Jesus that he should come to this centurion's home. Verse six says, and Jesus went with them And he does it. And so we see that this centurion understands authority. He says, I am under authority. There are those that are rule over me. And when they say that I should do something, I go do it. And I have those that are under my authority. And when I say jump, they jump. And he says, I recognize, you see this centurion's faith, I recognize that you have the same authority. But not over people, he understood that he had spiritual authority that those under the authority of Jesus would obey, and he's asking for healing of his servant. He says, I'm not even worthy to come into your presence. You notice the Israelites, he's worthy, he's worthy, Uh, but, but he doesn't think so. He's humble. He humbly presents his request to Jesus through some other servants of his, and says, I get that you have authority and that you can do this thing. I don't know the moments of, of recognizing authority that you've had. You know, that, that, that it was clear where you stood in the hierarchy of things. I remember, uh, boy, I was probably 15 or 16 years old. I was, started dating this girl, and, and I found out that uh, her dad wanted to talk to me. And so he's like, why don't you come out uh, to my place of business? Which, guess what? Was United States Air Force Academy. Um <laughs> I take that back. It was the United States Air Force at Peterson Field, which is on the other side of Colorado Springs. So I could drive onto Pete Field, and uh, and come in uh, to his workplace. And he gives me a tour. And there's a bunch of people. He's in uniform, and and uh, others saluting him. And then he takes me on a tour of of a C-17, this cargo plane. And there's F-18 Hornet, and uh, behind me, showing me uh, these these gorgeous aircraft, and, uh, and, then, and then he has a talk with me about what he expects with my behavior with his daughter. And, and, and I see it fairly clearly now that it was a fighter jet, and then him, and then me. And so I couldn't help but associate this authority with him. I'm not sure if there were missiles actually pointing at me at that point in time. <laughs> But, but I had clarity in that moment. Now, I went away uh, uh, not too thrilled about it, but right now with a uh, daughter that's 19, I have a different level of respect for that. I'm like, man, what do I got? What do I? You know, maybe right here. Maybe if I have him sit right there. So. All right. We're going to get through this, uh, hopefully. Hopefully. But he understood authority. He says, if you just say the word, if you say the word, then my servant will be healed. And I love this. is one of my favorite verses, and you've heard it from me over and over again, but you're going to hear it again here. And Jesus heard these things, and he marveled at him. Jesus marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, even in Israel, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And then... Uh, He rose, and those um, who had been sent returned to the house, and they found the servant. Well, he marveled at his faith. And then he talks about this, not even in Israel have I seen this kind of faith, and he's actually referring back to the other point in time, the only other place in Scripture where it says that Jesus marveled, and we read it a number of months ago, uh, but it was when Jesus was in his hometown, just before he relocated to Capernaum. And he said that he marveled at the lack of faith in his hometown and even he couldn't do great works there. What a a crazy thing that Jesus would marvel some at their disbelief and and another time at this man's faith. And he marvels And, and, and because of this man's faith moved by his faith Jesus chooses to heal his servant. Let's move into verse 11. Soon afterwards, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him, and as he drew near to the gate uh, of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And considerable crowd from the town was with her, and when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. And so here is Jesus walking into this town and he's at the gates and, and uh, he sees this funeral procession coming out and so we know where it was in the, in the phase of this because they were leaving town means that this body had been dead, had already been prepared for burial and that's why they had him on the burial cart or, or the bier, and were carrying him out of town to be buried outside the gate. And this grown son, probably an adult son of a widow, who would have been taking care of his mother. And so the town is grieving with her. She would have nobody else possibly to take care of her. And in that culture, uh, that that meant a lot for a a widow that was a, a childless widow now. And they were mourning with her. And it says that Jesus was moved in compassion for her. Moved in compassion for her. This crowd who is mourning with her is walking alongside. Verse 14, we continue. It says, And then he came up and touched the bear, and the bear stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread throughout the whole of Judea and all of the surrounding country. And so here we we have Jesus, maybe not caring about ceremonial cleanliness, reaches up and touches the, the, the funeral cart that the body is being carried out on and, and, and the bearers, they stop and they freeze. Something is happening. This is odd for, for a teacher and for a holy man to become ceremoniously unclean, not be able to enter a synagogue for a time because of this and, and feeling compassion he speaks. And, and this, I think, is a picture back in the Genesis of, of the, the truth The word being spoken and things coming into existence. And I actually wonder if Jesus ever was ceremoniously unclean. Maybe as he reached up, he spoke and he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And at the same moment, touched him. And so Jesus never touched a dead body. Because his word spoke life back into this boy, into this man. And it says that he sat up, And he was talking with Jesus, and it says, and with that, Jesus gave him to his mother. And I I think back of a couple of other stories of Elijah in 1 Kings. It says, Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother, this child that was dead. And he delivers him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son lives. And Elisha, not... But a few chapters later in 2 Kings chapter 4, after bringing the Shunammites' uh, son back to life, says, come and pick up your son. And yet I also think it gives us some forebearing on what's going to come when Jesus hangs on the cross. And he also gives Mary uh, over to John and says, John, this is your mother. Mary, this is your son. And he's reuniting families. And the power that is in these words, Jesus, moved by the compassion of this woman's sorrow, chooses to heal her son. And I tell you, I read these kinds of verses and these kinds of chapters, and I go, what am I supposed to do with this? Like, like, what do we do with this? What do we do with this concept of Jesus raising people from the dead, resurrecting them from death? Does he still do that today? I mean, I think so. I've heard stories in other countries uh, of of people uh, experiencing these kinds of things, and I don't know why Jesus chooses to do the things that he does and work in one region, maybe in a unique way to another region, but I believe in the same God that raised the dead then can raise the dead now. And yet, I I don't know that I've prayed for that, healing, that he didn't even go and enter that place and lay hands on him like the son he laid hands on and raised him from the dead, uh, but the other, the servant, he doesn't even enter that space, but authority goes out from him and, and, and brings healing to people, and I have seen that. Uh, I've lived that. Mm-hmm. You guys, a couple years ago, praying for me when I had ruptured brain aneurysm is no doubt in my mind that the reason I was able to come through that the way that I did was because of your prayers. I've seen it in my own uh, children and, and uh, my daughter who, who was supposed to have different diseases uh, in, before she was born and then had uh, levels through the roof uh, when she was young and spent a week in the hospital and was supposed to have developmental issues for years who was healed. I've seen that. But I kind of go, what are we supposed to do with this? And so I just want to ask you, what do we do with this? How do we apply this? What do we, what do we think or feel or, or see differently about the world because of this? So I guess my question is, uh, what does God, what do you see here? What does God reveal about himself in these verses? His greatness. His greatness. What do we see about, yeah, Nothing is impossible with God. He works, through faith. he works in faith. Yeah, absolutely. Moved by the faith of the centurion, he healed his servant, right? He moves in faith. What else do we see in the character of God? I'm going to try to see you if you're in the balcony. Just call out if I don't see your hand raised. Compassion. compassion. Echoing, stereo, compassion. Jesus moved in compassion, he wasn't even asked to do anything with the dead son. The mother didn't say, Will you please raise my son from the dead? And yet he had compassion and moved and chose to raise this boy from the dead. What do we see about the character of God? Miraculous. Say again? Miraculous. He's miraculous. Yeah, absolutely. He's loving, He's just. Justice, he knows he acts in ways that we don't always understand, and yet it is always loving and compassionate and just. What else do we see? Otherworldly, yeah. I mean, he just spent time, Sermon on the Mount, talking about how you are not citizens of this kingdom. We live and operate by the rules of another kingdom and I know you've lived on this planet for a long time and this has been most of your experience but I'm telling you, you're not citizens of this place. Your your home is of another place. My authority comes from another place and he operates now the same as he did then. What else do we see about God's character? Full of grace, undeserved favor. We don't deserve it. The, the servant didn't do anything to deserve to be healed. You know, the son didn't do anything to deserve Jesus to reach into his life and bring him back, but he gives undeserved favor. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. He care, yeah. He cares, he knows he cares. You. No. Amen. He loves you individually personally he knows who you are and your story he is watching in your sorrow and in your pain and in your struggles and in your disease and he's there with you it's harder when he's not walking down the road or walking into the city gates but he talks about that is that that he prays for our faith in John chapter 17, he prays for the faith of those that were with him, and then he prays for the faith of those that would come after, that's us. Not that we would be taken out of the world, but that we would remain in the world and focused and, and reliant on him. I guess he values you, absolutely. He values you. Yeah. there is, yeah, movement of the Holy Spirit right there. I don't know. He shows the heart of the Father. I mean, that's what we see, especially when you read through the book of John over and over, Jesus is talking about, I only say the things that the Father wants me to say. I only do the things that the Father wants me to do. And so in this compassion, we see the heart of the Father through the Son. His love, say the second part again, I missed. His love cannot be measured. Well, I hope we take a few minutes when we're reading through verses of the Bible and and, and ask ourselves, what do we see about God in these? And I tell you, it's so encouraging to hear from each of you because I don't know that I would have caught all those things if I was just spending some time on myself, but together we're able to kind of understand that and see that. What do we see in ourselves about our own experience, about people through these verses? Being dependent. Okay, yeah, being dependent on him, yeah. Say again? That we're incompetent. Yeah? Is that what you said? Amen. We are incompetent. Yeah, which then draws to our reliance. Yeah. What do we see about ourselves? What's revealed about humanity through these verses? that we are forgiven. We're recipients of this forgiveness. Anything else? Never alone. That we're not alone. Yeah. Well, we feel, boy, this has been a year of of alone, of isolation, you know, and yet I've heard story after story of, of people's faith blossoming and, and feeling united uh, with one another. I mean, it, we've had in the last, last week and this week a number of, of people who are back again for the first time and it's great to be united and yet on a spiritual level I think we have been united and yet it sure is good to see your faces too. It's good to be together and, and uh, do the dance. We, we we're doing that in the back. Like, are we fist bumping, hate hugging? What are we? I don't know quite what we're doing here but good to be back together. Yeah. Amen. Online, uh, people are broken and need Jesus. We're broken. Yeah, we have sickness. We have disease. Death is coming. And here's kind of the unfortunate part. Death was coming again for that guy. Death was coming again for Lazarus. And yet, because of the death that was defeated last week as we focused at Resurrection Sunday, death has been defeated and that we get to live forever in him. What else do we see about ourselves? Need love our okay. Needing to love others. Seeing and understanding their circumstances and, and what they're going through and look into their lives, which probably is an investment of time and energy. You know, to, 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 to meet your neighbor. You know, how many of us actually know our neighbors and, and have meals with our neighbors? You know, absolutely. Amen. Let's do that. You guys are out racing cars with your neighbors. That's awesome. That's like a picture. They got a cul-de-sac and they have RC cars and they're out in their cul-de-sac racing cars every day. Like, man, I can't wait to be retired and go race RC cars. I'm moving in with you guys. Um, yeah, understanding and, and looking into their circumstances. And we're fragile. Yeah. Yeah, boy, don't you long to be the marveling that moves Jesus because of our faith, not because of our lack of? Yeah, yeah, maybe Jesus does marvel at us, and we sure hope it's the right kind. And, and seeing these stories and hearing the faithfulness of God through other people helps and bolsters our, our own faith. Yeah, anybody? Rick? Yeah, you know what believe, and and believe and pray for miracles for God to work for God to know uh, what what we are longing for, and yet we're doing that in his will. We talked about knowing the heart of the Father. Jesus knew the heart of the Father, and so for us to pray in faith for, for God's will, though not our will, God's will to be done, and and, uh, and I think we're going to see these kinds of stories. I mean, who knows? Resurrection but healing and and God's faithfulness and bringing wholeness to our broken situations. I I hope before you leave today that you'll take a minute and just ask this question, what am I going to do because of this? Because of this that we just talked about, because of these verses, what will I do? How will I live differently this week? Maybe it's meeting your neighbor. Maybe it's inviting them over for meals so that you can look into them, their circumstances. Maybe it's spending more time talking to the Father so that your heart can be aligned with his heart. But before you go today, ask that question, what will I do because of this? You know what? And There might be somebody else that needs to hear it too. God may have put somebody in your life that needs to hear some of this. Maybe not the story itself, but just understanding how much God looks into your life and cares about you, and maybe they need to hear that. Maybe they need to see that through your life. I want to close with what they did. It says that fear gripped them. Respect gripped them. Their recognition of God's authority in the world gripped them and they had reverence for it. They understood this Jesus is not just some teacher. He's not just some guy walking around and, and saying stuff. You know, that's easy. The Sermon on the Mount kind of talking things, but this guy has authority in what he says and his words speak new truth and new life into existence and they had reverence for it. It says that they glorified God they worshipped him. In his presence right there, they were worshipping him and thanking God for it. It says that they recognize that God has visited us. We have been in the presence of God himself, it says. God has visited us. They recognize that. And then the only other response that they had says, and report spread throughout the entire countryside. They couldn't hold it in. They had to go and share. They had to leave that place that they were at and go and tell somebody else the goodness of what they saw in Jesus. What a response. And and we get to do the same thing. Going back into our countryside, into our neighborhoods, and our workplaces where we volunteer with this kind of, of understanding of God's authority and how he wants to reach into your life, that's what the miraculous is, is God reaching into the, to the ordinary and doing something extraordinary that only he can do, reaching in and changing and speaking into existence new life and new circumstances. Ben's gonna come up, and we're gonna do the uh, only thing that's really appropriate right now. We're gonna glorify God and we're going to worship together, and then you're going to be sent out from this place into to, to wherever God is leading you and be looking for the opportunities to have faith, to, 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 to be there to pray with people and to dig into their lives and to spend time with them and share with them this God who wants to change everything. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word. And these uh, big accounts of you doing amazing things, and, and yet uh, you said that, that we would do greater things than you. That it was better that you leave, that you go to heaven so that you could send the Holy Spirit, God. You were at work in one place in Capernaum in this time, and yet today you can be at work in thousands of places. Use us. God, help us to have faith not in, in what we can do, but, God, in our own brokenness. And in our own need, God, that you come in and make things whole, and God, with you we have no need. Allow us to uh, just speak your truth into the places that we are at. God, you are so good, and we continue to worship you alone today. In Jesus' name, amen.